1: Look at behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. Yet its maker can approach it with his sword.
0: Job, chapter 40, verses 15 through 19, New International Version.
1: I will not fail to speak of leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth. Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together, each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another, they cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light, its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth, sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds.
0: Job, chapter 41, verses 12 through 20, New International Version. Hi, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today we are pressing forward with our series that we call The Truth in Genesis. To help us in our exploration of one of the most fascinating and controversial parts of scripture, we've invited Dr. Jonathan Sarfati to be our guest in the studio. Dr. Sarfati is the lead scientist for Creation Ministries International. He has written a number of widely selling books that bring an understandable yet comprehensive scientific perspective on what empirical observations actually tell us about the age of the earth and the origin of life. Dr. Sarfati has sold hundreds of thousands of books, such as Refuting Evolution, Volumes 1 and 2, By Design, The Greatest Hoax on Earth, and The Genesis Account. During this series, Dr. Sarfati is addressing a wide variety of topics that pertain to a proper understanding of scientific evidence that conflicts with the conventional view that the Earth is billions of years old. Today we'll be exploring some of the most fascinating parts of that evidence because we've devoted today's show entirely to dinosaurs. Specifically, today we are going to see that recent discoveries about dinosaur fossils are at odds with the hypothesis that these fossils are tens or hundreds of millions of years old. But before we get too far into our discussion, Dr. Sarfati, would you like to say a word of greeting to the Anchored by Truth listeners, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with Creation Ministries International?
2: Well, g'day. Thank you again for inviting me here. It's a pleasure to be on Anchored by Truth. Now, I come from Creation Ministries International. Our website is creation.com. And we've been going for 40 years now. I actually am from Australia and New Zealand. I'm a, I was a dual national from those countries, but I'm also now an American citizen too as of September 2019. I'm a PhD scientist. I study chemistry and physics. I've been working for Creation Ministries for over 20 years now. My job today is actually writing books and articles and giving talks in churches around the country, showing why Genesis is extremely important to understand the rest of the Christian faith, as well as how it makes perfect scientific sense. When you understand the real science, Genesis really provides a huge number of insights.
0: Dr. Sarfati, in our last couple of episodes of our Truth in Genesis series, you addressed some of the major problems that affect the validity of dating methods used to support the belief in an ancient earth. Last time, we saw that the worldwide flood described in Genesis casts further doubt on the reliability of many of the popular claims about the old age of the universe and earth. Would you like to give us a brief overview of a few of the observations you made?
2: Well, first of all, the point about the long-age ideas came about from an a priori rejection of a global flood. Before much was known about geology, people decided before examining the evidence there wasn't a global flood and there were just vast eons of time of slow and gradual processes, but there is very good evidence for a flood. And that is the rapidly formed rock layers containing lots of fossils, the huge extent of these layers going across continents, as well as no time gap between the layers, a very rapid uh, sequential formation of layers. So in a lot of physical processes, you can trade intensity for time. So if you have a very intense process like the flood, you don't need lots of time, which means evolution cannot happen.
0: Thank you. That was very helpful. As we observed last time, it's very important to note that the dates developed from geology depend entirely on the assumption that the current appearance of the Earth reflects processes that have been consistent and continuous throughout the Earth's history. Yet this assumption is unproven and unprovable. But another problem is that geologists often look to paleontologists to corroborate their determinations. Ironically, though, Paleontologists often do the reverse and look to geologists for date determinations. Do I have that correct?
2: Well, pretty much. The idea is you date the fossils by the age of the rocks they're in, but you date the rocks by the age of the fossil they're in. Supposedly, radiometric dating breaks the circle, but in practice, the radiometric dates aren't ever allowed to contradict the fossil dates that they want. And there's been plenty of examples where they've tried to, they've overturned radiometric dating for various reasons, because it just didn't fit the fossil sequence or fossil date that they wanted.
0: So, let's delve more deeply into what we actually learn by studying dinosaurs. Do dinosaurs prove that the Earth is billions or millions of years old? How does much of the evidence that is available from studying dinosaur fossils actually demonstrate that biblical time frame is more accurate? How does the presence of blood cells, elastic blood vessels, intact cells, animal proteins and DNA found in dinosaur skeletons demonstrate that such skeletons could not be as old as the conventional dating theories assert?
2: Well, I don't think you can talk about proof as such when we're talking about things that occurred in the past. But I do think the evidence from dinosaurs is more consistent with a much younger age than the millions and billions of years. And that goes into something we've talked about before, which is the discovery of soft tissues in dinosaur bones. In fact, elastic blood vessels, still soft and stretchy blood cells, intact bone cells, dinosaur proteins like actin and collagen, which only come from animals, as well as DNA, which was enough to activate the normal test they use to detect the DNA. It requires a relatively intact double helix to work, and they found that in dinosaur bones. And we can measure how fast these things break down and there's no way they could last millions of years, even if, in fact, the dinosaur skeleton were frozen the toll whole time. It wouldn't be enough time. But they believe the dinosaurs lived in warm climates, which would mean the breakdown was even faster. So, again, more consistent with the biblical time frame that the dinosaur fossils are about 4,500 years old, um, produced by the flood of Noah's day.
0: Could dinosaurs have been present on Noah's Ark? Is there evidence to suggest that dinosaurs lived on the earth for some time after the floodwaters abated?
2: Well, first of all, since we have dinosaur fossils and the fossils show evidence of having been formed in Noah's flood, it means that dinosaurs were alive around the time of Noah. And the flood account, the historical account says that God told Noah to take two of every kind of land vertebrate animal on the ark which means that dinosaurs must have been included because they were alive at the time. Now, some people think that's a problem, but studies of growth rings on dinosaur bones show they went through a growth spurt very suddenly after a fairly slow growth, growth spurt and levelling off again. So there's no reason that Noah had to take the fully grown 50 tonne creature. He could have taken them before the growth spurt when they may have been only one tonne. And also probably there are only 50 or so different dinosaur kinds. I know there are a lot of different dinosaur species, but not that many kinds. And recent discoveries over the last 10 years or so have shown that dinosaurs change shape when they grow. Which means that certain dinosaurs identified as different species were actually baby versions of other known dinosaurs. So it means you've got a further compression of a number of dinosaur kinds because some of them were babies or young adults of the same creature. So not a different kind at all.
0: What does the biblical term kind actually mean in terms of animal classification?
2: there are different ways of classifying the different creatures around the world you may have heard of different species now a proper definition of species says that things can interbreed with each other and produce fertile offspring are the same species but the number of different species which seem to be related are called part of the same genus and then you have number of genera plural of genus are in the same family and then you got the order and you go up a But see, the biblical kind is broader than what we now call species. In fact, the biblical kind probably is as high as the family in many cases. So it's actually two levels above a species. And we can tell that because we can interbreed certain creatures. Now, if they can interbreed, then they're part of the same biblical kind because God said that the kinds would reproduce after their own kind. So reproduction is a key test for whether something is a member of the same kind
0: can you give us some specific examples of what you're thinking of
2: for instance lions and tigers can interbreed in fact they can produce fertile offspring even though they're different species they clearly are the same kind because they can interbreed in fact you can trace a line from tiger to the domestic pussycat of all these different creatures who can have babies with each other form hybrids with each other which means they're part of the same created kind. So when you do that analysis, you find that the kind is often as large as the family, which means that Noah would have had to take two representatives from each family, as we would now call it, and not two of every species. In fact, sometimes you find different things which seem to be even different genera. So one level above a family, different genera, and yet they can produce offspring with each other. Like, there's a false killer whale and a bottlenose dolphin, different genera, not such different species, but they have a wolfin together. Whale, dolphin produces wolfin. And the wolfin in a Hawaii theme park has produced a baby of her own. So, in fact, they are actually the same species by definition. They can produce fertile offspring. They're the same species, but they're called different genera, you see. So, obviously, the man-made classification system is really not so reliable. And, in fact, we can go to the biblical one, which is the kind, which actually is much more consistent.
0: Is there evidence to suggest that dinosaurs may have lived in proximity to people at one time?
2: Yes, I believe so, which means that some of them must have gone on board the ark so they would have survived on for a little bit. And for instance, you have around the world, you have legends of dragons encountering humans, and eventually the humans won the battle. And you wonder if that's why dinosaurs became extinct, because humans actually could overpower them with intelligence, weaponry, fire, poison, traps, like we almost did to the whales, which are bigger than dinosaurs. More intelligent, bigger brains had the home turf advantage being in the sea, and yet humans with handheld harpoons and wooden sailing ships almost wiped out the whale population. So I think this is what happened to the poor dinosaurs. In the Chinese calendar, you have 12 animals, a 12-year cycle of 12 different animals, and most of the animals, we know what they are. One of them is the dragon. But it seems like it's treated as an ordinary animal, not as a magical creature. In fact, the word for dragon in Chinese is long. And the word for dinosaur is konglong, so you got it means terrible dragon. You see, so you got the Chinese ancient culture, which seemed to see creatures which we would now call dinosaurs, but called them dragons or the long. And you got the Book of Job. I think was the earliest book in the Bible to be complete in its final form. Was a book of Job. Moses added to the Book of Genesis. Now, Genesis refers to far older things in the book of Job, but it reached its final form under Moses, about 1450 BC. Job was probably at the time of Abraham, about 2000 BC. And there's a creature that God says, behold, behemoth. Okay, now God has just been going through a whole lot of the animal kingdom, animals that we know very well. And then he gets a behemoth. What is a behemoth? Clearly, Job was supposed to know because God said, behold him. But the thing is, it's a Hebrew word that's not translated. It's transliterated, and it really means the beast of beasts. It's a plural word for a single creature. So it's a beast of beasts. And the description is, it hangs its tail like a cedar. Now, cedar is the biggest tree in the Middle East. And when you look in the Bible of comparisons to cedar, it's meant to be something really magnificent. But then you look at creatures today. Some study Bibles say, well, the behemoth could have been an elephant or a hippo. But they have really tiny tails. You wouldn't compare an elephant or a hippo tail to a cedar. It makes no sense. But then you look at some of the sauropod dinosaurs. The sauropods were the dinosaurs with a very long neck, very long tail. And you go to this creature called Dedrednautus, discovered in Argentina, 2014. And the discoverer said that the tail must have had incredibly powerful muscles. So it's basically a weaponized tail. Their description, weaponized tail, 30 feet long on this creature. And that is the sort of thing that would be compared to a cedar, not an elephant or a hippo tail. So it looks like what Joe was seeing was what we would now call something like a dreadnoughtus.
0: How do preconceptions affect paleontologists when they assign long age time periods to dinosaur skeletons? Well, the preconception
2: is that the last dinosaur died out 66 million years ago. So of course, no humans ever coexisted with dinosaurs. So if they find a dinosaur skeleton, they will assign the surrounding rock layers to around 66 million years at the latest, before even looking at the evidence. Because we know dinosaurs died out 66 million years ago.
0: What are some of the differences between creationism and evolution?
2: Okay, now, a lot of the difference between uh, creationists and evolutionists is not so much the evidence that we can both agree upon, but the interpretation of the evidence. Because we have different starting points, and therefore we make different accounts of how these things came to be. Now, notice that no one really digs up the past. We dig up the present. If it wasn't in the present, we couldn't see it. So we've got things in the present. The difference is how this present came to be. What things in the past led to what we see in the present? Now, if you have the assumption of a biblical worldview, you have creation in six ordinary days about 6,000 years ago, and we have a globe-covering flood which means you got rapid processes not too long ago. So you'll interpret things in accordance with that framework. But if you deny special creation, global flood, you're restricted to the idea of slow and gradual processes over vast eons of time, and therefore you're interpret these dinosaur bones as being formed a long time ago. But this actually falls foul of common sense because to get any sort of fossil at all, you have to bury it very, very quickly and deeply. So the fact you find dinosaur fossils shows it couldn't have been the result of slow and gradual process. It must be the result of catastrophic processes. And finding soft tissue in the bones, again, is inconsistent with their theory of vast time periods and slow and gradual process, but very consistent with the biblical timescale. I'm not saying it proves, I'm saying it's more consistent with the biblical timescale.
0: Are there any Christian geologists or paleontologists who support a literal reading of Genesis and what that means about dinosaurs? That dinosaurs were created on the sixth day, accompanied Noah on the ark, and existed for some period of time before becoming extinct, as millions of other species have?
2: Well, there are a number of Christian geologists as a whole, like Dr. Andrew Snelling, Dr. Steve Austin, Dr. Taz Walker who are very good at geology and all affirm a global flood account and a 6,000-year-old Earth. And As far as paleontology in particular, you have Dr. Marcus Ross from Liberty University, who did his PhD research on mosasaurs, which are giant marine reptiles. But he's another person who believes that the dinosaurs' fossils were formed by Noah's Flood. In fact, he's the one who provides evidence like the fact that we have footprints earlier than the animal that made them. And as far as the evolutions are concerned, the difference between the footprints being found and the animal is millions of years, which doesn't make sense because surely the animal made the footprint, which means there can't be very much time between them. So that's an insight that Dr. Ross has pointed out quite lucidly.
0: In your opinion, what are the most important facts that point out that Christians can view dinosaur skeletons without surrendering any belief in a literal genesis?
2: Well, the first uh, one which really stares you in the face is the fact that we have these incredibly complete skeletons points to a catastrophic burial of these enormous creatures. Think of how how much water and mud would be required to bury such a creature so deeply that it wouldn't decompose and bloat and float and break through the layers and then disappear, be eaten by everything else. So you've got the, the very existence of these dinosaur skeletons, and then you have the existence of soft tissue blood vessels, blood cells, dinosaur proteins, DNA in them. And again, we know how fast these things break down, and there's no way you can extend the time frame to 66 million years. A few thousand yes, millions no.
0: What resources would you recommend for Christians who want to study more about what dinosaurs really tell us about the Earth, its age, and history?
2: Well, again, our website creation.com has 13,000 articles, but also there's a specialist page, Q&A page on dinosaurs alone. And we've tried to arrange our Q&A pages so that the key articles are at the top. So you can go to the, the most important articles, overview of the issue, and then you've got other articles which provide supporting or more specialist data on yeah when they existed how they fit on the ark how they grow so big what was the biggest dinosaur how did it get that big and also we have some books in our store if you look up dinosaurs you'll find some good resources on dinosaurs there from a biblical perspective because it really are quite amazing evidences of the biblical's true history even though evolutionists have used dinosaurs to push millions of years they really promote the opposite
0: Can you give us a little bit more information about why you became a biblical creationist?
2: Okay, now, I became a Christian quite a while ago. I was about 20, so it's been a long time. Uh, But one of the things that was quite influential in me becoming not just a Christian, but a biblical creationist version of a Christian, was considering the contradictions in evolutionary claims with what I was learning in the real science courses at the university. Even in my first year of university, I did a geology course and the head of paleontology of the geology department said to the class, the fossil record does not support Darwinian evolution. It seems to support a series of divine creations. Then he went into why he wasn't a divine creations. But basically what he was telling us, the actual evidence from the fossils doesn't support what he believes. So he's actually supporting his belief system in spite of the science. And then I go through my chemistry classes. Since I have a PhD in chemistry, I went through a lot of chemistry and finding that the actual chemistry goes diametrically opposed to the reactions that would have had to occur for non-living chemicals to form a living cell. For instance, if a chemist wants to make a protein, the last thing he wants to have is water because water promotes the reaction to go the opposite direction for the protein to break down into its building blocks. So they try to get rid of water. They've got special water-absorbing chemicals to get rid of it. So the last place they want is something full of water. But then evolutionists claim that life began in the ocean. And last time I checked, there was lots of water in the ocean.
0: So the big takeaway from our discussion today is that dinosaur remains and dinosaur skeletons do not provide evidence for a long-dated age of the Earth. This reinforces the conclusion that we saw last time, that the Genesis Flood explains geological phenomena that are observed around the globe. So if a billions of years age for the Earth is not necessary to explain either geological or paleontological discoveries, maybe we should begin considering an alternative. This means that the conclusion we get from Genesis, that the Earth is thousands rather than billions of years old, Is amply supported by empirical observations and scientific evidence. Dr. Sarfati, we'd so like to thank you for joining us on Anchored by Truth today. Just as a reminder for our audience, this show, as well as all the Anchored by Truth episodes, will be available by podcast shortly after the broadcast airing. So any listener today who has a friend or study group that could benefit from Dr. Sarfati's depth of knowledge can go to their favorite podcast app and search on. Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books Today, for our closing prayer, since so many of our children study dinosaurs in school, how about if we pray a prayer for any of our kids who may be preparing to take a test.
3: Prayer before taking a test Heavenly Father, you have been so good and kind to me. I praise your name because you are worthy to be praised. You rule the universe, yet you love us so much that you care about the parts of even our daily lives that trouble us. Thank you for being a merciful Father who carries our burdens. Lord, you know I have a test coming that has been weighing on my heart. I know that tests are a part of learning and education. You know so well that tests can be very difficult for some of your children, including me. Lord, I pray that you would help me with this test. I pray you would help me to prepare effectively for the test. Help me to take advantage of all the books, study aids, and guides that I can find. Direct me to my fellow students, teachers, or friends who have an understanding in this area and who can assist me. Please defeat any tendencies I have towards discouragement or fear because these are the tools of the enemy. When I am in the test, please send the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind all that I have learned. Keep me calm and help me to focus on simply doing my best. My joy and hope are in Jesus. I pray and give thanks in his precious name. Amen.
0: We hope you'll be with us next time when we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Sarfati. And we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also or listen to the podcast version of this show. Crystal Sea Books would like to make sure that all the Anchored by Truth listeners know that if they enjoy listening to the prayers that are presented at the end of each episode, those prayers are available for individual use from Amazon. There are two different prayer albums available. One album is prayers for family and friends, and another is prayers about faith and freedom. Those prayers can make a thoughtful centerpiece of daily devotions, or they can be used with Bible study groups or small group meetings. There are even prayers for friends who are sick or about to undergo medical procedures that you can share with those who are experiencing difficult moments. Sometimes it's hard to find just the right words to speak to people, or even to speak to the Lord. These earnest and thought-provoking prayers can help, not to be substitutes for your own fervent prayers, but as a sort of friend to come alongside and let you know that others have walked through the valley too. The individual prayers, or an entire album, are available for a modest fee, and all the funds go to support the work of bringing the truth of Scripture to our current culture. To find the prayer albums, Just go to Amazon and search on Purposeful Prayers to find either the Faith and Freedom album or the Family and Friends album. You can also find R.D. Fierro's meditational and devotional book on prayer, which is also entitled Purposeful Prayers, Learning to Pray Like Jesus. As R.D. says in the book, the whispered prayer that stirs the hand of God is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. It's time for all of us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And all of us, and anchored by truth, would like to encourage everyone to be blessed by God's amazing grace. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're We're not famous, famous, but our our boss is. is.